and welcome back finally um to <laughs> watched once never again the podcast where we only talk about very happy movies only um, watch once oh, watch once never again only because it was so happy i can't experience that much happiness ever yeah, again because you died laughing <laughs> I and that's why you can't watch anything again <laughs> um but really we will uh watch disturbing movies so that you don't have to and we'll talk about them and analyze them and whatever else we want to do uh i'm dex i'm mary beth we got a fucking doozy today sorry in advance <laughs> this is mary beth's fault it is my fault but also your fault because you wanted to do a series on addiction. You're right. And either way, we would have been <laughs> covering this movie at some point. Because I did have a thought to maybe do an Aronofsky. like. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I picked this. But I thought, well, it's fine. And it is fine. Uh, we'll get to he's some got plenty, of his He's movies. got plenty of other... He's got all, plenty of... All of his fucking movies are disturbing. So there's yeah, plenty and more who to says, from. Who says we have to watch them all together? Exactly. Because our show, not yours. <laughs> not yours i wanted to cover addiction because it's the holidays which sounds weird but um the holidays are really hard for people dealing with addiction and i don't think a lot of people like to talk about that so i would like to and i also i think that i was thinking about this and i want to like just maybe talk a little bit about why we picked this topic and like why we we want to talk about it People, so people know that like I, both of us have pretty, um, pretty intimately familiar with addiction. Um, I've lost family members and close friends to drug addiction, so this is a topic that is unfortunately near to my heart. Um, and yeah, and I don't want to speak for you, but I just wanted to kind of give people like you, we're not just talking about this because we want to, but also like we both have. A lot of unfortunately like a decent amount of experience with knowing people who have who live with addiction yeah it's like we kind of have a lot of inside knowledge but like neither of us well i don't want to speak for you because you can talk about it but um i i'm not an addict and i never have been um i don't i'm what the kids would say is straight edge like i've never drank i've never smoked I never will, probably. I don't plan on it. Um, I've never taken anything up until only a few years ago. I wouldn't even take, like, Tylenol. So, Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And that's wow. because, I mean, <laughs> where to start, really? Yeah, there's just so, there's so many addicts in my family. My, my mm -hmm. dad was, like, as you know, like, just a really abusive alcoholic. You know, my brother died of a purposeful drug overdose he was a drug addict my whole life he was a lot older than me unfortunately you know my my sister is a drug addict just my niece is a drug addict uh in recovery thank god just just and so many more and and not even to yeah. mention my friends you know i i don't know exactly how it is where you are but like here my area was like ravaged by opioid yeah. addiction so is so is my 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 high school 
Yeah, my my high school was really bad. Like the principal actually made like an announcement, like, "Hey, there's a bad batch of heroin going around. Like, be careful out there." You know? Oh wow! Not exactly like that, but um, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, was, just was that we just ignored. We just ignored. We just ignored it. <laughs> no, it was like you couldn't ignore it. You know, like people like dropping in school and stuff. Like you know, yeah. Uh, so I I have a lot of friends who have unfortunately like died a lot of friends in recovery uh and like thriving so it just yeah um and i know you obviously you said you have a very similar yeah my situation. my uncle my uncle passed away from heroin overdose and that was really traumatic for a lot of reasons because he didn't pass away immediately and there was a whole thing there that was incredibly incredibly traumatic for my entire family um his his girlfriend and the mother of his son also but then passed away like in a really horrific way due to her drug addiction i've lost a couple family a couple more family members and then um uh i think it was two or three i think two of my no three fuck three of my close friends from college all passed away after college from drug overdoses one of them was my radio radio co-host and so that was really difficult I'm so yeah, sorry. we yeah, but you know, so we are unfortunately incredibly familiar with addiction and what it looks like and its effects on people and families and you know, my mom still works that my mom actually still works with addicts. My mom works um in a restaurant that employs people who are at risk to um people who were previously without homes. Okay. And a lot and a lot of them were also addicted to drugs or are currently addicted to drugs. Like mm-hmm. are in active and like not in recovery or are recovering and she's had to help them when they have relapsed. So my mom sees a lot of this as well. And it kind of leaks into our family life, which, you know, happens. So, you know, my family is very very familiar with <laughs> particularly opioid addiction. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. that's awesome that she hires people. Yeah, the whole point is to, like, give these people a fucking chance to get, like, and get treated like fucking human beings. Because, surprise, surprise, people don't treat addicts like people. It's really, it really bad. Just and just gets to me. Well, at addicts and then people who were previously without, like, unho- like, unhomed people, like, it's just really hard for them to find jobs. And so she, like works with them and helps them find jobs and things like that and you know it's really quite fucked up the and like the, so they the whole mission of the place is like it's connected to a local um shelter where unhomed people can live and get there's like a food pantry it's like a resource center etc and um people come to the restaurant and they're just like they sometimes it's not as bad as it used to be but they used to treat it like a zoo like, look at the addicts. Look at the former. And that was the problem because, like, the whole mission of the restaurant is to hire people like that. So, in turn, the rich white people of Annapolis would come in and be like, look at the addicts. We're helping them. And so, like, that was super awkward a lot of the time. And my mom had to navigate that a lot because people were, like, kind of shitty to her staff. And she was yeah. like, please, please, please stop. Like, at one time, someone said, that person shouldn't be eating the same food I'm eating. Oh, oh! I'm getting them. a fight. My, I think Pick me. my my mom. I don't know if she threw them out or threatened to throw them out, but she was not having it. She's like, "I'm sorry, excuse me." 
<laughs> who who even like what? What? It was yeah. so, it was so weird. It was like a guy from the shelter was eating at the ta- like at a table, and the woman was like, "Why is he eating that?" And my mom's like, "Cause he needs to eat." And she's like, "Well, shouldn't he be eating something like gruel?" <laughs> and my mom was like, "I'm sorry. Who are you? Like what?" So people don't treat addicts and unhomed people like actual human beings and that's not a fucking k oh fucking k the whole point of this series is to look at the intricacies of addiction and basically people who are who are addicted to anything to substances deserve to be treated like people i just want to say that off the top so everyone knows our stance on this and i i also want to say you know i'm not like outing anybody here like Everybody that I know who is an addict, I mean, besides my dad and his, like, whole side of the family, because, like, you know, it like, alcoholism is a rampant in Native American culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, like, I am kind of outing them, because I don't have a relationship with them. Um, but, like, everybody else is, like, you know, they'll talk about it. You know. Yeah, and like that's what I like with my mom's co- like coworkers. They're all very open because they're all like, "I was fucked up," and like, "I want to help people." So, right. like, so please don't think we're here just like naming people. <laughs> yeah, no, the people that I'm talking about have passed away, and it was unfortunately like pretty common knowledge that they were addicted to drugs, or these are people that like are actively trying to use their experience with addiction to help other people, or like are open like a lot of these people just like oh yeah no like i did a lot of pcp and i was like oh sick all right casual like they just you know part of (laughs) their life and they taught and like a lot of the time they just are very open about it and i appreciate that because like i don't know i know there's a lot of shame around addiction and addiction is a terrible thing but it's nice to be in a place where my mom has helped foster like you can't you you don't need to be ashamed of yourself kind of situation yeah, exactly. I I laughed because my a lot of my friends just make jokes about it. But my one friend recently, like, she's very open about her her past addiction, and she was like talking about vaccine hesitancy and how like at oh, first no. she was like, I don't know if I should get it, and then it occurred to her, and she was like. You know, if slamming heroin didn't kill me, I'm pretty sure nothing this vaccine has in it will. <laughs> I was gonna... <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. That's incredible. Um, and I will say, I have a history of also... Okay, so, like, everyone jokes about this in my family, but I think there's a history of alcoholism in my family. They're all... We're, my dad's side is incredibly Irish, and they always joke that they drink a lot because they're Irish, but, like, I'm pretty sure we're all, like like borderline alcoholics like the things i have seen when these people drank is like pretty harrowing and like one of the reasons why my dad and i don't speak anymore is because of his drinking and i myself i'm not an alcoholic but you can i don't drink as much anymore because i feel myself kind of going into those into those mindsets and again i am by no means saying that i know what it's like to be an addict i have like i'm definitely not but just again providing some more context about like where i'm at in these discussions 
nuance. That's what I meant. Like, I don't want to, like, say anything that you don't want to say, but I remember oh. you told me that before. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to say it because I'm just being, I'll just be straight up about that for sure. Like, I am not an alcoholic, but I don't really drink anymore because I had a tendency to get, like, pretty destructive, not destructive, but when I was depressed, like, when I was dating my horrifically abusive boyfriend, I would black out because I would slam bottles of liquor. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it was, and that was college, and it was, like, that weird thing, like, oh, well, you're in college. Like, no, I was incredibly depressed and using liquor as, like, a way to, like, no longer feel anything. So, you know, great. Great times. <laughs> That's why I don't drink. I just don't yeah. even know, because I know I'll go there, like, or I have a high chance that I'll go there. So I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. I just no, don't good. do it at all. You know, that is, I, I, I still drink occasionally, and I like the taste of alcohol, but honestly, you're not missing much. You really aren't. <laughs> I actually like the taste of whatever synthetic alcohol is like. Oh, because you drink the non you drink some non-alcoholic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I the like beers. the taste of non-alcoholic beer. I think uh, the Heineken one is like really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what other people tell me, it tastes very realistic. And then like I have um, non-alcoholic whiskey. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and like it tastes a little weird at first, but then. I was like, I mixed it with like uh, Coke, and it was like good, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it like I like to drink it when I'm like reading a book by my record player, like you know what I mean. Fucking nerd. <laughs> Make me feel a little fancy in my wingback chair, but um, I don't really like have any desire to like drink actual alcohol and i never have thankfully like i've never been that curious like i'm curious as to like what it tastes like but not to a point where i want to taste it like you know what i mean yeah yeah and again i i the non-alcoholic beers i've tried taste pretty much like beer yeah so. or like non-alcoholic wine sometimes or something but it's oh, basically even... wine and, oh. They have, like, everything now, like, non-alcoholic champagne and stuff. And I know a lot of people listening are probably like, that is simply juice. But, <laughs> but <laughs> like, it, it 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 isn't. Like, you can taste... Well, because they, they're trying to make it taste like, al- like, at least give you, like, the vibe of alcohol. It's not just, yeah, like, sparkling cider. Yeah, it's you still get the taste, like, the vibe of champagne. Yeah, no, I get that. Right. It's still made the same exact way. It's just then they take the alcohol out of it. So it... It does retain most of that taste, you know, because um, uh, people love to make fun of me for that shit, or at least like they used to. And I'm like, you know, I don't have to explain myself to you. Like, I don't care. No. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me drink what I want. Like, I'm letting you drink whatever you want to drink. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. Even if it is juice. So what? I want fucking juice. Yeah. Who the fuck? yeah I want juice. Like, safe. What the fuck? What the fuck's wrong with juice? I'm a grown ass man. I, if I want some <laughs> juice... By God, I will drink some motherfucking juice. I'll drink that juice all day. How about that? (laughs) So now that we've kind of discussed our background with everything, the movie that we are talking about today to launch the series is Darren Aronofsky's 2000 film Requiem for a Dream. (laughs) What? I was watching this today. I texted Dex and I was like, why did I fucking choose this movie? Like, what is wrong with me? Um, cause I haven't seen this movie in a hot fucking minute. So yeah. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, let's read the synopsis for the film. Um, it is rough everybody. So, you know, as usual, buckle up. Okay. 
So Sarah Goldfarb, played by the incredible Ellen Burstyn, is a widow who lives alone in a Brighton Beach apartment. She spends her time watching a lot of television. Her son, Harry, played by Jared Leto with a horrible accent, is a heroin addict along with his friend Tyrone, played by Marlon Wayans, and his girlfriend, Marion, played by Jennifer Connelly. The three traffic heroin in a bid to realize their dreams. Harry and Marion plan to open a clothing store of Marion's designs, while Tyrone seeks an escape from the ghetto and the approval of his mother. When Sarah receives a call that she has been invited to her favorite game show, she begins a restrictive crash diet in an attempt to fit into a red dress that she wore at Harry's graduation. At the advice of her friend Ray, Sarah visits a physician who prescribes her amphetamines to control her appetite. You know, great. She begins losing weight rapidly and is excited by how much energy she has. When Harry recognizes the signs of her drug abuse and implores her to stop taking the amphetamines, Sarah insists that the chance to appear on television and the increased admiration from her friends, Ada and Ray, are her remaining reasons to live. As time passes, Sarah becomes frantic waiting for the invitation and increases her dosage, which causes her to develop amphetamine psychosis. Tyrone is then caught in a shootout between drug traffickers and the Sicilian Mafia and is, sorry, that it just sounds so silly written down like that, um, and is arrested despite his innocence. Harry has to use most of their earned money to post bail. As a result of the gang warfare, the local supply of heroin becomes restricted and they are unable to, uh, to find any to buy. Eventually, Tyrone hears of a large shipment coming to New York from Florida, but the price has doubled and the minimum purchase is high. Harry encourages Marion to engage in sex work with her psychiatrist, Arnold, for money. This request, along with their mounting withdrawal symptoms, strained their relationship. Sarah's increased dosage of amphetamines distorts her sense of reality, and she begins to hallucinate that she is mocked by the host and crowd from the television show and is attacked by her refrigerator. Sarah flees her apartment and goes to the casting agency office in Manhattan to confirm when she will be on the show. Sarah's disturbed state causes her to be admitted to a psychiatric ward where she fails to respond to various medications. She, un she undergoes electroconvulsive therapy instead. After the heroin shipment falls through, Harry and Tyrone travel to Miami to buy heroin directly from the wholesaler. However, they are forced to stop at a hospital because of Harry's infected um, injection site in his arm, where he has contracted gangrene. A doctor realizes that Harry is a drug addict and calls the police, resulting in Harry and Tyrone being arrested. I will talk about this, and I'm so angry about this part of the film. Anyway, I digress. Back in New York, a desperate Marion sells her body to a pimp, Big Tim, played by Keith David. Um, she, she subjects herself to, humiliating sex, uh, to a humiliating sex show at his request in exchange for more heroin. Sarah's treatment leaves her in a diso dissociated, catatonic, near-vegetative state to the horror of her friends Ada and Ray, who weep and try to comfort her, comfort each other on a park bench outside the hospital. Harry's arm is amputated above the elbow, and he is emotionally distraught by the knowledge that Marion will not visit him. Tyrone is taunted by racist prison guards while enduring a combination of grueling manual labor and withdrawal symptoms. Marion returns home and lies on her sofa, clutching her score of heroin and surrounded by her crumpled and discarded clothing designs. Each of the four characters curl into the fetal position. Sarah imagines herself as the beautiful game show winner with Harry, married and successful, arriving as a guest. Harry and Sarah lovingly embrace. So that's a lot. <sighs> this oh, God. Um, 
I'm curious, when was the first time you saw this movie, Dax? Or had you seen it before? I have seen this movie. I know this will sound um, how it always sounds, but I've seen this movie so many times. (laughs) I I actually need to, I'm actually curious how. I actually don't. I don't know how. I just, I would say I've probably seen it maybe four or five times, including this last time. Yeah. I think the reason why is because, you know, growing up for me, like, I know when, I know, like, at the top of the show when we're like, oh, this person in my family and this person and this person and this friend, they're drug addicts, like, I don't think that people understand if they, if they don't experience that, like, what that, what those implications are for you, uh, being, Someone who isn't in the shit, but is somehow still in the shit. Yeah. Even though you're not an addict, like, you're a part of it. And it's in your life, and it takes over. And uh, for me, growing up, you know, coming of age in the uh, mid to late 2000s, like, I didn't see a lot... I didn't see a lot of myself reflected in most things for Mm -hmm. many reasons, but no one I knew could, I know that addiction ravaged like this area. It ravaged the whole country, which we don't talk about enough, Uh, but it, it's really isolating. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about it i didn't know anyone else who could really understand that like uh what it's like to have two of your siblings and your father like all in active addiction within your household yeah and like just some of the things that i've experienced like as someone with you know someone really close to me in active addiction and like being someone that like one of the only people they trust like i've seen things <laughs> yeah very similar to what happened in this movie mm-hmm. uh you know like drug dealers like at my house and like uh yeah you know um fucking abscesses and and shit mm-hmm. like that you know yeah so to me even though this movie is really disturbing and extremely sad, like before this watch, it just felt really relatable. And so mm, okay. it, it wasn't necessarily comforting. It was just more, oh, like at least someone or something kind of understands what my life is like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I can't really describe it, but this time watching it i like really paid attention i mean i paid attention before but like i really paid attention Mm -hmm. and like i tried to listen to like what the characters were saying and i tried to see what they were doing in a as if i had never seen it before Mm -hmm. so that i could talk about it with you and it upset me so bad i mean I didn't get, like, you know, really triggered or anything like that. Like, I'm okay, and I was okay. But, like, I just... I I paid attention to parts where 
I didn't necessarily give my full attention to the first few times I saw it. Like the first few times I saw it, I was really invested in uh, Harry and Marion and like Tyrone because that's more like what my life was like. But this time I really paid attention to uh, Sarah's character. Oh my God. So did I. And I had a really hard time. Yeah, and and it's like weird because I always thought her character was somewhat like their all their stories are sad, but I always thought her story was a little bit more sad than the others cuz she had no idea what she was getting into. And like I'm sure when Harry was like, "Hey mom, those are uppers." She took it with a huge grain of salt, probably cuz she doesn't necessarily trust him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I listened to some of her words in a different way this time. And I was just like, this is even worse than I thought. (laughs) It's, it's fucked. Like her, her storyline, I think is the most tragic in this one for a lot of reasons. Um, Again, it's not, I know it's not like supposed to be like the Olympics who had it the worst, but hers is just so fucking sad because she's alone. She's a, a lonely woman who her only kind of, like, thing she wants now is to be on television, and she hears that, and she's like, all I want to do is fit into this one red dress and wear it on TV. And it's, like, a simple... It seems like a pretty simple goal. It seems, like, pretty straightforward. But she becomes so, like, hyper-fixated on this. It's all she does, all she talks about. And it's her... Like, we read the synopsis, it really becomes, like, her reason to live because Harry comes to visit... Harry, like... Harry only comes to visit her basically when he wants to take her TV to sell it for money for drugs. And their relationship is shown as pretty contentious as like she has to lock the TV to the radiator and she has to give him the key and she locks herself in a room to kind of stay away from him because he's pretty aggressive. Um, And so, you know, he comes to visit and it's not super contentious. They hug and she's like, I'm by myself. Your father's passed away. You are out. Like, I don't have anything to live for. Like, there's no reason. She talks about not having a reason to, like, do the dishes or make her bed. And, like, speaks to that depression of, like, what's the point? And when she finally, there's finally a point, she becomes so excited and fixated on it. But, and even worse, like, it's she's aided by a doctor who comes in, doesn't even look at her and just gives her weight loss pills. And that made me so mad. Which like speaks and like, which is interesting because a lot of the time we talk about how, you know, opioids are overprescribed and they are, but here it's talked like it's the amphetamines, which I thought was also really interesting because we don't talk about it as much about like what these like weight loss drugs do and like how they really are just speed. And it's, she just keeps popping them and popping them and she's, you know, manic and has all this energy and she's losing weight and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh my God, you look so beautiful. And like her, all of her value is is, is up because of her physical appearance. And I think that also just speaks to like the really fucked up kind of standards we have in the world for beauty, but especially for older women. And so, and her whole story gets so fucking upsetting because she has a psychotic break and is like trying to figure out what's going on with the show. And she's regarded as just another crazy person on the subway. And 
oh my god like that final shot when she walks out to see her friends and her hair is cut off oh my god i almost threw it. i felt like i was gonna vomit it was just like so hot. and i've seen this before but like again i didn't fixate on like her storyline as much i was just more again because i had like family experience with heroin that was what i was more interested in and that like that kind of what that looked like and how they wanted to portray like heroin addiction on screen and when i first saw this i've only seen it one time before because after i watched it i was like fuck this movie i can't do it again i was so disturbed by when they reveal his arm like when his arm had been cut off and he's crying in bed like that really got to me and this time it was her curling up in bed um the mom curling up in bed and like with her kind of like psychotic kind of kind of like psychosis and her like hallucinations so oh my god oh i had i guess i never really like her story always interested me of course um but i don't think i ever really paid attention to the speech well not speech like the monologue that she gives where she talks about her motivations for wanting to lose weight and be on tv where like you were saying like she has really nothing to live for like no one she's like lonely and no one comes to see her and you know her husband died and uh just listening to that this time and it's pretty long i was just i really focused on that and i realized i had never really um paid attention to her motivations like before So this time, listening to it, I was just like, this is really tragic. Like, it's, it's so yes. horrible. It's so hard to listen to. And then, but when she's done speaking, all you want to do is cry. And then the next shot is uh, Harry, like, he leaves and he gets in a cab and he just starts, like, sobbing. Oh, my God. And I was like, I that's how that I feel. Sh- that's exactly how I feel. And, like, that's how it feels. Like, I'm going through some stuff with family stuff. And, like, that's how it feels. It's not drugs, but, like, addiction-adjacent behavior. And it that's how it feels after you talk to someone like, like that. And, like, you don't want to get upset because it'll upset them. But you just get in your car and you cry afterward. And you just feel so heartbroken and tired. And it's even harder with Harry because Harry is in the middle of active addiction. And it's, like, the layers of him wanting to, like feel bad for his mom, but also his own, like, needs to kind of get that next score. It's just like, oh my god, it's just so complicated. The thing that I was thinking a lot about with this movie is how they don't try to, like, give everyone a tragic backstory, necessarily, and be like, look, they were so horrifically abused, and this is why they're on drugs. Because I feel like a lot of narratives about drug use, like, have the kind of, like, there's, like, this trauma that causes you to be a drug Mm. addict. And, like, sometimes it's done carefully, sometimes it's not. And here... There's, like, whispers of why some of them, like, especially Marion, is, like, might be, you know, have started doing drugs. But it's not, like, it's not made to be, like, traumatic. There's not a lot of backstory. And it's not, like, trying to justify or, like, I don't know. I, if I, is that making sense at all? Yeah, it's, like, it's and- trying to give more, like, a subjective view of their experiences. And it does that in a lot of ways. It does it, like, visually and... um like the audio and the and, and just the story like it doesn't give you a lot of backstory whether it's positive or negative about any of the characters you exactly just, like you, you get, get little the hints. basics yeah because like you get the basics 
And then you know, like Marion sometimes talks about like, you know, her parents are very wealthy and there seems to be kind of like a fuck you kind of situation. Tyrone, like you kind of see a little bit about his mom and like, but again, it's not like a lot of context. It's just like him thinking about his mom and like how he wants to make her happy and like prove himself. And so I did, I didn't think about that as much the first time I saw this, but watching it now, like I thought that was interesting and in how this isn't. This is literally, like, a moment in time. It's not trying to make this, like, dramatic backstory, but it's literally, like, a moment in time for four drug addicts and, like, what they're trying to do to make their lives better in the ways that they know how. And, and it all backfiring. And, and then And yeah. it all backfiring fucking horrifically. Which is, like, the structure of the movie is so sad. It's, like, you know it's like, you know that nothing good is going to come of this. But like the first half, there's like joy and this like euphoria. And you're like, fuck, this is going to break bad so fucking bad. And it just breaks bad so fucking bad, Dax. It really does. And it's like, it's it's not a very subtle movie either, right? Cause no, like, not even a little bit. Like it's not <laughs> trying to be subtle at all. It, it's like... Uh, you know, it starts out happy and it's in summer and then it ends terribly and it's winter, <laughs> you know, yep. like, uh, with a very obvious title card telling you what season it is. Yeah. Summer, uh, fall, winter. Yeah. And then along with that, you have the score in the background the whole time. Oh, Clint Mansell's score. Which so fun fact, um, that, the song that this movie is known for is called Lux Eterna. Mm -hmm. And that was sampled in our original theme song for this podcast. A hey, fun fact from me to you. Fact. Well, it wow. wasn't sampled. I taught, I taught myself how to play it. Ooh. Like, I mean, so fancy. not well, just by ear, but, um, but still, but still just, stop selling yourself short. <laughs> I, it's funny because you're short. It. <laughs> Sorry, not rude. <laughs> no, it's it's just true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but the it's yeah. like slowly. Um, it builds the whole time. The whole movie is basically a song. Uh, like yeah. a, a requiem is a song. Yeah. Um, not to mansplain requiems, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the meaning of that uh, originally i believe it's basically like a funeral dirge so it's like um you know uh, something that's played like a song a really solemn song that's played like at funerals um for dead people obviously uh and i mean that makes a lot of sense when you consider how this movie's structured and what it's about it's about the death of all their dreams that's that's really like we all think of it as like a drug movie but really at its core what it's about is that they all have these dreams these aspirations and through whatever like maybe it's their fault maybe it isn't um they just keep making the wrong choices yeah. And they they kill their own dreams. Like they're she's yep. never going to be on television. E even though I'm pretty sure that was a scam and I want to know what scam that is. Like what do they gain from that? I guess her information cuz they send her something in the mail. Yeah. You think? 
I mean, I didn't think it was. A, I thought it was like because like two thousand, and there's always those weird ass game shows. I didn't think it was necessarily a scam, but I thought it was weird. But what she's watching every day isn't a game show. Yeah, that's the, that was yeah. That's what I was trying to. It was like it was a diet show. It's an infomercial. It's a, yeah. It's it's an infomercial. So I, I yeah, that's true because like again, she's kind of like an unreliable narrator. So you're because like what they talk about on the show changes with her mental state. It yeah. seems like, and so it's never just, like super clear what it's just like her dream and like her it's like her idealized version of what it is when it's just an infomercial from this fucking weird charlatan man. <laughs> yeah, he's like a weight loss guru. Yeah, and I think she has a crush on him because later on in one of her like dreams or something, she's like making out with him. Yeah, one of her and like, I think halluc- that's kind of why hallucinations. She... Yeah, yeah, I think that's why she watches the infomercial every day because she finds him attractive. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> like her dream obviously is to like lose weight and be on TV. She's never going to be on TV because of you know her choices. Which she goes she... to the she goes to the talent agency where they think where they film or whatever, and just mm. has her psychotic break there, which is really fucking sad. Yeah, and and what like it doesn't seem like anyone there is like judging her. Like at no. first, like yeah. the lady seems to genuinely just want to help her. Um, but then this this movie just over and over just highlights how like systems are basically rigged against addicts and yep. people with mental illness and especially yep. elderly people who mm-hmm. may have one or the other of those or both and uh so as soon as like the EMTs get there that's when uh she starts being just like tossed around like she's just nobody you know yep well, and what, you know, one of the things that really, really fucked me up this time is when she's going through the electroshock therapy. That and always gets me. I can't it, watch that in anything. I, I, yeah, uh, uh, I've never experienced it, but I know people who have, who have, like, really, like, t- told me about, like, what happens and, like, the uh, the really horrific effects of it. So it's always so hard, especially after knowing that. And again, that's only a secondhand experience, but still, and, like, just watching that, and it's and like it's that scene intercut with like, and that is like the one of the final like the, the climax basically is like intercut with her getting electroshock therapy, Marion at this really awful sex party, Tyrone getting yelled at by racist guards and having withdrawal symptoms, and Harry getting his arm removed, and it's basically like every like all of the consequences of their actions happening all at once and it's just like the score is like booming everything terrible is happening it's like there's no reprieve for like it feels like forever but it's probably like less than five minutes but it's just harrowing and she oh my god i don't know it's just it's such a hard final scene to fucking watch that whole climax scene and of course the music climaxes at the same time yeah like it's 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 just so everything's just really overwhelming and the movie's overwhelming the whole time like it's just like a yeah it's like sensory overload yeah it's like attacking you like in every way yeah exactly because it's just like for those who have not seen it there there are those like little uh quick cuts of like what the character is doing at that 
time. So like for yeah, Sarah, so, it's like think about guys like Evil Dead, like when they like he's like making the yes. chainsaw hand. It's like a weird, but like the really quick cuts and close ups of what they're doing to kind of mm-hmm. like, yes, yeah. Like for Sarah, it's her eating food or or like wanting to eat food. Then for like the the other characters, it's it's them when they're getting high and like there's a little quick cuts of like the um the plunger going down and then the uh blood vessels opening, the eyes, the pupils, pupils like dilating, dilating yeah. or you know, uh, yeah. whatever. And it's just, like, it feels like really chaotic. <laughs> it's really, it's really chaotic. And it captures this like kind of feeling of being both in control and out of control. Like, and it, it's a lot, but I also like, you know how a lot of movies about addiction, like always kind of like revel in the act of them getting high and like, look mm. at the spectacle of them injecting into their arm this yeah. doesn't do that. It's a little bit more. It's not abstract necessarily, but it doesn't like show them. It more just shows those quick cuts, and you get you know they're getting they're getting high, but it's not like look at them putting needles in their arms. Like it's a little bit more. Uh, it tries to be a little more abstract in that, and doesn't try to like show you everything, which is an interesting choice. But I also like. I guess this like comes to another thing about this movie that I was trying to navigate in this and thinking about like, is this an exploitative movie? Is it not? Like, what is this? And I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't think you can because I think it depends on your own experiences. Yeah, because like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, this is incredible. And this time I'm like, I still I feel a little bit uncomfortable with this a little like a little bit about how and like I. I understand that there are some things done in this movie that are a little bit more careful. Like, it's not necessarily sensationalizing, but there's still some things, I guess, that, like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I guess maybe just my headspace this time, it just feels like such, like, tragedy porn. Like, look at the suffering of all of these people. I don't know. Yeah, but I think that if you go into a movie called Requiem for a Dream, it's gonna be tragedy porn. Like, I know. know. Like I, (laughs) and I know that people don't like Aronofsky, and uh, I I mean I don't necessarily get that, but like I know that they don't, and so I know there are probably people who think, oh, that's just like, you know, tragedy porn. Like you said, like I don't really need to like give that any thought, and I would I would just disagree. Like I think it's, I think it gives all the characters like a lot of agency and um it just shows how one choice can totally derail everything for you yeah and like you might not know it or or you might make that conscious decision like um like sarah i was saying before like she did not know that she was going first of all let me say this (laughs) <laughs> no one knows they're going to get addicted to something. No one yeah. tries something and says, I I think uh, I want to get addicted. Or they don't try something thinking, well, maybe I'll get addicted, maybe I won't. Like, no one thinks they're going to. But she especially didn't know she was going to because uh, in, I think, like, the 80s and 90s, they were just prescribing diet pills like that, and they, they were speed. 
Well, yeah, like and like even her, her her friend's parent, her her not friends, her friend says, "Oh, my daughter took them," and like a doctor prescribes her the drugs, so she's like, "There's no right. way it could be bad if the doctor prescribes me the drugs." Right, and she has a line where she's talking to Harry because Harry's trying to ask her, like, "What's what are it, what's in those pills? Like, do you even know?" And she's like, "I'm, I'm Sarah Goldfarb. I'm not." Uh, albert einstein how do i know what's in them you know like she's just trusting that a doctor wouldn't give her something Mm -hmm. that would make her you know have a psychotic break and yes there are points where she does choose to take multiple pills but it's because she's already like addicted to them you know um and but then there are other people like marion who thinks about her choice to call the uh, weird sex party guy and then chooses to do it. She thinks about her choice to contact her therapist who really should have his license revoked. Um, Yep. And she makes that conscious choice to do that because she consciously wants to continue using drugs uh, for whatever reason, you know? Like, I think that if this was just mere tragedy porn, um, we would get the woe is me backstory for all of the characters. And we would see, you know, oh, this is what this is the lows they go to to inject. Like, I mean, you get that one instance where Harry injects into the abscess, but he explains why, you know, um, he has like no veins left. I get, I get why someone might think it's tragedy porn, but I would really disagree. Word. I, I wanted to talk about it because I was just curious because I think that there is like, you know, always that discussion when someone chooses to make a film about addiction and you're like, are you doing this because you want to portray the realities of addiction or are you doing this because you know it'll make people sad and it'll get people to watch it? You know what I mean? Because people are unfortunately yeah. like drawn to those kinds of things. I don't think this one is. I think... This one's, like, incredibly honest. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, yeah. brutally honest. So it's, it's like, not, oh, like, you that guys tragedy know porn what this of, is like, like... Yeah, exactly. And then makes so, you regret thinking yeah. that. Yeah, you're like, ooh, you want to know? Well, here you're going to know. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Damn it. I want to take that back. Yeah. And again, I think that... I think that the drugs are just, like, the vehicle for talking about like the death of a dream you know yeah well and also like i think it also does this incredible job of showing like how these people like people that like these characters are seeing their addiction not as a bad thing and how they can support themselves and like live these beautiful lives together and like how in love they are like harry and mary and talking about how in love they are while they're stoned on the floor and it's just like it show it shows this re- like this kind of thought of just like what am I trying to say? Like it's not all terrible all the time. Yeah, and it's not trying to just it's not trying to show like drug addiction as like you're always in a hole and you're always like fucked up and you're always like tweak like a tweaker and you're always just like on the streets asking for money like they're functional like there are people who own a like want to own a business and do all this stuff and like yeah they're selling drugs but you know there's just 
it's it's complicated and i think that's what makes this movie so fascinating and so much more tragic because it's try it's much more complicated than just like they did drugs and ruined their lives like it exactly. that seems that seems like what the movie is but it's not that if you know what i mean i do and i agree let's see i actually took notes cuz this movie's very long it's not that long you know what i always <laughs> say it's really long i actually said this last night too when i was watching it i was like i always say this movie's very long and then it isn't long like it doesn't it just, feel long it just it it just it has the grab it just a lot happens in a movie i was just weird i was thinking about that i was like it's only an hour and 40 minutes but so much happens and the way that it's paced is really fascinating but you don't feel like you're losing anything so it's pretty short for how much like how many characters and like their stories are packed in there it feels like it should be longer but it's not i think that what makes it feel long to me isn't that like when i'm watching it i'm like oh this is dragging on it's that so much happens and it feels so heavy yeah that i'm like surely more happened than i even saw <laughs> like yeah that i even realized yeah right? yeah it's exhaust it's an exhausting movie to watch it is I exhausting will, i will say that did you know it was a book uh i did and then you ever remembered it? i never no i never read it i never read it either i just found out so, it was a book yesterday so my my I am the opposite of you. And like you so you lived you had like active addiction in your home a lot more than I did. My uncle lived with us and he was an he was an active he was actively addicted while he lived with us. But it's not exactly the same as like what you were dealing with, but I avoided that shit like the plague because I was so upset about what happened because it was so fucked up. Mhm with like the situation in my head and like my I don't it happened when I was young and it was just like a weird situation that I never like fully kind of I think processed so anything about drugs and addiction I actively avoided because I didn't really want to like think about it um which is so like a lot of that stuff I just never taught like like movies like this I watched once and was like I fuck fuck this like I can't put myself through that again like that is just too real for me and like books like that like my mom was really into reading about it and like trying to understand addiction and i just i wanted to like distance myself from it so much because it hurt like it was just like my way of trying to deal with the pain sure I'm not saying it was like the healthiest way of dealing with it but here i am well it helped you survive at the time yeah so. Whew. do you want to talk about their accents and what the fuck are they <laughs> Jared Leto's accent in this movie is so bad. Like, they're trying to be, like, Brooklyn, and it's just a nightmare. Like, I just really wish they just didn't. <laughs> I, and that that was, the, that was the terrible part. Like, I was watching this, and I'm like, Jared Leto's accent is taking me out of this, like, so bad. This was also the, the time in my life where I thought Jared Leto was a hottie and, like, l- obsessed with him before he was a cult leader and, like, a total creepus. I... And, and and to be fair, Queen Ellen Burstyn, her accent is also really bad. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I love yeah. her so much. I think she does a great job, and I cannot believe she was robbed of her fucking Oscar for this movie. Oh, was she really? I didn't, I don't yeah. think I realized she was nominated. Who won over her? Uh, Julia Roberts, I believe. For fucking for, what? I think for Aaron Brockovich. Ew. 
That's not a bad I mean, movie. But good movie. It's, but <laughs> a, it's a good... No, I know. But anyway. Oh, my God. Tom Girardi was her attorney. He's a douchebag. <laughs> um, that's that's real Housewives drama that it's, has no relevance to this. But that just... Aaron Brockovich made me think of him. Oh, yes. Yeah, I just didn't... I didn't know who that was. was No, there's no, there's no need unless you, unless you watch real housewives like I do, then there's no need for you to know what I'm talking about at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. uh, No, it's fine. Yeah. But I have never liked Jared Leto like ever. Lauren and I used to, when we were, younger we would watch like because something traumatic always happens to jared leto when if he's in a movie like well that's how it used to be and uh we would like watch like fight club um because oh i fucking forgot he was in fight club oh my god are you fucking yeah we we like loved because we're like we just like don't like jared leto and it turned out we were right yeah, you were. You were. Your assumption about him was correct. He's fucking weird. Which I don't get why he gets away with the things he like. Why I, didn't? Why don't people ever talk about like the weird, creepy, like underage girl shit? Because it's Hollywood and people are gross. But even when like, like a couple years ago when the Me Too movement was really yeah. like, gaining traction, like I don't understand why nothing ever came out about him. Or, well, it, stuff came out, but, like, no one cared or talked about it but ever. They, he still gets jobs. Like, he's in that new Marvel movie where he's a vampire. Oh, see, I don't even know what you're talking about because that's, like, two things that I just... That's, like, three things in one that I probably would But you're watch. like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about and I don't want to know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he... Yeah. I liked him for a hot second when I was a teenage girl who liked 30 Seconds to Mars. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, but you know what? I was teenage girl. I can't. I can't control the weird shit that I liked. Sarah um, was fully obsessed with him and Thirty Seconds to Mars. Oh, cool. So like we're kin- we, we we're kindred spirits here. But yeah, his accent was horrendous. Like who did they think that they were fooling with that one? I don't know. But it Marlin- was no one. And Jennifer, they had the right idea, and they did not do any accent. No, they were just like, nope, mm-mm, nope. And, like, so the thing that we didn't, I, like, touched on for a bit is Marion is wealthy or comes from a wealthy family. And it's, like, kind of, like, she has, They, I mean, again, don't talk about, like, why, like, how exactly or why. She became, you know, started doing drugs but now she does do drugs and she wants to be a fashion designer, but is like, was kind of like the money plug for a while, but then her parents cut her off. And then that's kind of like another part of it that I think is interesting in having not just like poor people, but also this very rich girl who comes from a very different background who, in, who falls into addiction and engages in sex work uh that she probably like it doesn't seem like she would have engaged in if she didn't need to do drugs i thought that her parents didn't cut her off and that's why harry doesn't understand why she does the sex work because maybe maybe i'm wrong i thought i thought she got cut off for not going to therapy for a while maybe i'm wrong i don't you've seen this more than i I don't know i i could have but regardless yeah because oh her therapist 
But I, I don't I don't remember. But I I I always thought that's what it was that like she just first of all wanted to be independent like for yeah that, that might be know, part of it too reasons. maybe and I'm then not. also just like uh, I just watched this what the fuck <laughs> yeah I don't know well because it's not really clear it's not really clearly laid it, out yeah it's not like it's not like a big part it's not it's like very like briefly like touched upon it's like her family is not like a huge part of the plot for her it's like very much glossed over and the the one thing we do see is her going to dinner with her therapist who is na- a nasty nasty open mouth chewer which makes me want to die <laughs> I hate him. I hate him. You ever just have sex with your client for money because you're a fucking skis? There's so no, much about it you that don't. makes me mad. You... Yeah. I have a note about Jen. I have a couple notes about Jennifer Connelly's character. First of all, uh, a happy note. Well, this isn't a note. This is just me talking. Jennifer Connelly, please call me. Okay. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Like she is beautiful. I I just love her so much. I've loved her from day one. She's so like, talented. She's so talented. She she like I've had a crush on her since I was a child. Oh. She's just Labyrinth? Was Labyrinth yes. your introduction? Yep. Yes. I figured most of our introductions and to her. Just like just so uh she's everything. <laughs> she's so like good looking. It's like painful. And that's her actually eye, it. Actually, she, gi- she gives me inspiration to have thick eyebrows. I think that she's why I I don't know if this is weird, but I have like an attraction to like girls with thick eyebrows. <gasps> Hell yeah, as you should. <laughs> We're hot. <laughs> I I love it. Like I and like a good eyebrow is like and a like something that I look at. Like you know how people are like the first thing I notice is a smile. No, I know I will your fucking look at eyebrows. Your eyebrows. Hell yeah. Love that. <laughs> Very much love that. As a person who was told her eyebrows were too bushy, I support this wholeheartedly. There's no such thing. There truly isn't. Unless you look like uh, Eugene Levy. That's the dad, right? Yeah, that's the dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, one time my cousin said I looked like him. And I was so like, what? <laughs> hmm. But I think she met my hair. Oh, I was like, I don't... I don't see that at all. <laughs> like not even. We are even... vastly different in race. Yeah, that that's part of that's part of it, but hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Anyway, I was gonna say Jennifer Connelly's good looks actually a little bit work against her in this movie because um, Jared Leto looks decrepit, and <laughs> he looks decrepit this whole fucking movie. Yeah, it's Marlon Wayans looks somewhat like decent, but his face. It maybe just is naturally like his like cheekbones are like really high and he's blessed, but his face looks a little gaunt at points. Yeah. But then she looks like pretty normal. Like just hot Jennifer yeah. Connelly. Like relatively speaking, compared to yeah. everyone else who looks like they are just having the worst time. Cause they yeah. are having the worst time. She's very sweaty a lot though. She's very sweaty. Yeah. She's going through like, withdrawal through a lot of this movie, too. Like, withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, or she's, like, you know, feeling sick because she just did something she, like, didn't want to do or yeah. you know, whatever. But I'm, I wrote this down. She, Her character reminds me of this girl I know. Um, and oh. not because she was on drugs. It, oh, it's like, it's uh-oh. Beca- it's because 
So there was this girl I know, or I used to know, who, she was, like, a crust punk. Okay. And, like, she would, like, ride, like, freight trains, and um, I kind of... Excuse me? <laughs> she was, like, one of those. I like how you were, like, yeah, she's a crust punk. She rode freight trains. Like, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, she would, like, like hop the trains. Like, only she only did it, I think, like for like a few weeks one time but she that's something she did i'll give her that credit and um live your truth (laughs) well you'll see why and she was just like always talking about you know how she's like really poor and she was always like dumpster diving and like asking for resources and and shit like that like and so i knew her just like she was from my area but i knew her just from like the music scene and that we would like talk online sometimes um mm-hmm. and she invited me to like hang out with her and i was like okay cool like uh where are you staying and she was like oh i'm staying uh at like whatever place so i'm like okay cool and i go over there and where she is staying is her parents house uh-huh. Which wasn't mentioned. And the house <laughs> is a mansion. Oh my god. And she wasn't poor. And um, she was just choosing wow. to be like a crust punk who like, I, I think she just wanted like the I, I don't I don't know, like accolades like i don't i don't know what she wanted just like <laughs> to be recognized to be poor? well she, yeah she was like wanted to be recognized as like a poor person who like uh had to dumpster dive and like had a hard life and stuff and when i i went there and i was like D- what and it and she wasn't staying there that's where she fucking lived she was dumpster diving oh. and stuff like for fun yeah I literally never talked to her again. No, like, that's I fucked left. up. That's like 100% like, like the, the contemporary version of slumming it. Well, and don't forget, like, I mean, I didn't mention this, but I had just stopped being homeless, like, at that point. Oh, boy. Great. Like, I thought that she was someone who, like, understood and, like, related. But now... Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. You're like, oh, cool. Someone understands like what I've been going through for the past, like, however long and, like, <laughs> knows the struggle of trying to stay fucking alive without having a place to live, like, a permanent place to live. Yeah. It didn't even make me what mad. I, I laughed. I literally laughed. That's like, tr- I feel like that is so fucked up. You're just like, what What can I do at this point? <laughs> like, what am I, I gonna, just, supposed like, to do? I should have I guessed. Like, she was a white girl with dreads. You know? Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And like, uh, whatever. It, it it makes me laugh whenever I think about it. Because I'm like, that is, that was uncalled for. <laughs> it happened. That happened to you. That happened to you. You experienced that in your lifetime. I just can't believe, like, she's like a fucking Portlandia character, you know? On, on Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, yep. the crust punks. Yep. Get a dollar. Yeah. Uh, like, Carrie Brown scenes, like... Char- crust punk character is like not poor like <laughs> it just makes me laugh but yeah um marion you're like want to trade i'll live here for you you can live in my car fuck off for real like for fuck real. you if you think it's so cool being poor then you're here you can i'll take i'll take your fucking privilege and i'll live in your ha- nice fucking house you 
piece of shit. Sorry, I don't. That just that <laughs> shit I, makes me so mad. I actually think it's hard to remember because I. It was when I was with my ex uh, fiance, and um, when we were still to when we first got together, I was still kind of between like homes, and I was like couch surfing, or sometimes my mom would let me crash there, and like you know, so like it's hard for yeah. me to remember if I was actually like yeah. between houses at the time because that makes it worse, <laughs> obviously. Yes. But yeah, her character, uh, I, I didn't put that connection together until last night. Because again, I was like, listening, I was really listening to what all of them had to say. And it seemed pretty obvious to me that she was like choosing to live this life because I think her parents didn't give her like attention or affection like throughout yeah. her life. Yeah. And this was not only a fuck you to them, but also a like, hey, look at me, I'm here. And also, I think she's someone who... This might be a little bit of, like, projecting onto her or something, but she just seems like she's someone who needs something exciting going on, but she's not an exciting person. Species spicy, but yeah, I I got that vibe too. I call them as I see them. I know people like that in real life. Oh, yeah. Like, I know you just had a baby because you don't know what to do with yourself. Oh, it's true. I know people like that, too. It's kind of fucking depressing. But I also made, I also was thinking about, like, at the end when she's, she has, you know, she got her drugs after the party and she's, like, hugging it afterward. I was just thinking, like, she's also the kind of person that, like, if she was arrested or if she was, like, in the position of the other characters, her parents would be able to bail her out immediately. Yes. And, like, get her to a, like, a top-of-the-line rehab center or, like, get her the medical care that she needs immediately and, like, she wouldn't be treated like shit. And, like, because, you know, I want to bring this to a point that I was really fucking frustrated about that I forgot is that, um, you know, Harry has an abscess where he injects. And, like, that's a pretty common thing. You get infections at injection sites because, you know, you're consistently injecting in that one spot and he didn't have any veins left to do that because your veins collapse if you use a lot of like a lot of needles and so he has this horrific like horrific infection and his friend tyrone is like we're going to the hospital and when they go to the hospital instead of treating his fucking infection they arrest them and put him in jail and don't treat his arm well you know whenever that actor i think his name is dylan baker shows up oh he's always he's, a dick. He is always he's gonna do something evil. evil but that part stuck out to me so much this time and frustrated me because like again i know it's something new but it's just like it just kind of really emphasizes how people who are addicted to drugs are not seen as human beings that deserve any kind of care or like like consideration or kindness like in he comes in and you see how horrific the infection is. Like his arm is turning black and they don't give him anything for it. He just goes to jail and then his arm gets worse. And it's can just that like, can happen in real life? Like can't if, if the infection if, gets that bad. No, no, I, no. I, oh. I mean, um, Oh no, trust me. I oh, know I that was like, happens yeah, in real no, life. That, yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah duh. That's an off the air thing. Um, 
But I'm saying, like, if someone goes into the hospital with an abscess like that, I don't think they would arrest them like that. They would have to care for them, right? Like, he's clearly going to die. I would thought it's an, I think it's an ethical not to treat him. Like, you have, so especially if someone comes in with that grave of an injury, like, or not even an infection, like, it feels like you have to treat them before sending them to prison. And also, even, like, sending them to, also, like, sending them to prison just for looking like they're addicted to drugs. Well, that's the thing. That confused me because I'm like, were, did they actually have drugs with them? Because I know they did drugs in the car, but, like... But there was no evidence. I don't think there was any evidence of drug use on them other than he had the infected injection site. But, like, he didn't have. Yeah, I, I don't that know. always it confuses just, like, me. Yeah, it was a weird thing. I was just like, are you just assuming it's because they he has an infected injection site that he has drugs on him and he deserves to be arrested? Which I guess also speaks to the assumptions about people and what they think of people who are. On drugs. It did drugs. Like, yeah, orders to rush them. They don't need to, a doctor. He doesn't need his arm. Yeah, and again, it's another example in this movie of how the systems are rigged against them. Like, the, that doctor, uh, you know, didn't treat him and immediately ratted him out. And then the cops, like, the, I mean, maybe there's an investigation that we're not seeing, right? But, like, they just take him. Like, they take him and Tyrone and it that, that always just confuses me and bothers me but I mean I guess we have to suspend our disbelief you know yeah once in a while well it also seems like they're in like they're driving from New York to Florida and that they're, they have they don't say where they are but it seems like they're in an area that one does not respect black people or care about black people and doesn't care about addicts. It seems to be like a very rural part, racist part of the South, perhaps. Um, not to make assumptions here, but that's kind of the vibe I get from where they are. Like, kind of middle of nowhere. Like, maybe not the most respectful class of people. It said it, He said they were 600 miles away from New York. So wherever that is. But I don't think that's making an assumption. I mean, they're going from New York to Florida. So obviously they're probably on the East Coast, but towards the South because they're 600 miles away. And they are actively very racist, like outwardly very racist. Oh, yeah. Towards yep. Tyrone, like on multiple occasions. So I, yeah. I think it's safe to say they're in a racist part of the South. Not yeah. that the whole South is racist, obviously. And we're not we, but like the North is also very racist. So, um, yep. Right. <laughs> like, we're not saying that. Uh, yeah, that always confused me and bothered me. Yeah. It always, it, the, something that, first of all, something that we don't talk about, like, no one ever talks about with this movie is how fucking great Marlon Wayans is in it. Right? I feel like people do not talk about him in this movie at all. Holy shit. And he's an he integral so part good. of this film. He is, like, one of the f- four main characters. And not only that, it's like he almost has like more range than the other characters because he there are like layers to his performance. He's so depressed. I guess his mom probably died. We don't find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's often remembering his childhood with his mom. Um, yeah. And it seems like he's missing her. So 
obviously if he loves his mom that much he's she's probably dead because he would be in contact with her yeah or maybe she doesn't disown him because if he uses drugs which is another like unfortunate thing that happens with drug like people who do drugs that yeah family members might do. They, but again it's never made clear this she's not in the pit she's not around yeah. I choose to believe that she probably passed away. Yeah. But so he's like often remembering her, but it's at like times when you don't think he would be like, yeah. uh, for instance, you know, he's about to have sex with this girl and he's like just staring in a mirror. I guess he just bought those mirrors or something. It's when they're like, you know, on the up in terms of their drug dealing. Yeah. And then he just stops and starts, like, staring at his own reflection, and he's, like, remembering his mom. And you would think he'd be thinking about the, like, butt-naked girl that's, like, on the bed. Yeah. But but then he, like, snaps out of it and is like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking all the nasty things I'm going to do to you. And, like... Like you said, he has these layer, like emotional layers to him that are, but you know, maybe a little bit more subtle. But he's still like, he's a guy that is using drugs, but you can tell that he is using drugs and selling drugs because he wants to get the fuck out of his situation. Like this isn't right. a, this isn't like a I love to do drugs. This is like I need to get the fuck out of here. And like I use drugs to kind of escape my reality, but I also sell drugs so I can get the fuck out of my reality. Like, right. he is tr- actively trying, more, and I think more so than Harry at, to a point, because like, for Harry, it feels a lot like he really wants to just be high all, but, like, be high and make money, but for Tyrone, it feels much more like he ne- he is trying so hard to, like, get the fuck out of wherever he is. Yeah. It's like, they, they are both like that, but at different times, because, like... Yeah. Sometimes Harry's like super focused on their goal and uh Tyrone is like, I'm just saying we have to try it to know what we're gonna yeah. how we're gonna cut it. When really it's like, no, he just wants to get fucking high. He just wants to get fucked up and like you know. hang out with friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um they're actually two really good, like they're not necessarily foil characters, but um Tyrone is pretty opposite of harry in a lot of ways like tyrone is obviously a mama's boy and yeah either can't like contact his mom or or like well i guess can't either way either she died or he was disowned but either way he can't contact his mom and he would like to and then like harry can contact his mom whenever he wants and in fact she really wants him to and she really misses him, and he just never does because he's so like, you know, involved with his own shit. Yep. And then it's like, you know, Tyrone is often like being chased by cops. Well, I was gonna say like it's interesting how they kind of try to talk about race dynamics here because you know mm-hmm. there is the moment at the end where the like the the prison guards are being incredibly racist, like very outwardly racist. But in New York, it's, you know, a lot of the time, it's he's the one that's going to, like, the supplier to get the drugs. Like, he's the one going into these cars with, the with like, the bigger drug dealers. Um, he's the one putting himself in danger. He's the one getting arrested. Like, he's kind of the one putting himself on the line a lot more um, for this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like he's always the one that like, has the connection to, like, get them the drugs. And it's, like... I don't know. It's interesting to see, like, he, the black guy is the one putting himself on the line, while Harry is kind of more reaping the benefits a little bit more. 
if that yeah. makes sense. Like that kind of yes. got so like that kind of that's a little bit like I, I don't know. It just felt more like oh the black guy is going to put himself more on the line for this because he has mm-hmm. the connections and he's in turn going to be going to jail and like going to be putting himself in like the danger of being shot a lot more and like he is just more in danger in this film and the situations he is placed in yeah exactly he, he's just really good in this and i wish more people talked about it like I, I it's not that no ever like it's not like you know oh and then there's marlon waynes it's just like i you never really hear anyone say anything because everyone is usually talking about jared leto but i think marlon waynes does a better I agree. And he doesn't have a shitty accent. <laughs> I think, look, in fairness, I do think Jared Leto does a good job in this. I think usually he doesn't do a good job in most things he's in. <laughs> but in this one, I think he does do a really good job um, for him. <laughs> yep. I just really don't like him. It's, it's the accent. But if he didn't have the accent, I think, like, I mean, he is actually like really it doesn't seem like he's putting on those emotions and stuff you know because he has to do a lot of emotional work in this yes. and i don't want to take that away from his performance like it is good but something everyone's, about everyone's good in this but marlon way again marlon Wayne doesn't get the credit that he deserves i don't think with this movie yeah and just something about tyrone's uh story it's the same it's like the same thing as Sarah's story. It's like we all like focus on Marion and Harry, but uh, Sarah and Tyrone have the saddest stories. Yes, I think. Like, uh, if anything, Marion is the only one who gets away kind of happy. Like she got what she wanted, and she's smiling in the end. I know Sarah's smiling, but she's like still suffering from like delusions and all. Mm-hmm. Like she thinks she's gonna be on TV. But, I mean, obviously, Harry is not happy. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, Tyrone and Sarah have it really bad. But, yeah, I agree that Tyrone and Sarah have, like, the more the most tragic kind of, like, the more you think about it, the more you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it just breaks my heart. Do you want to talk about, like, the technical aspects real quick? Sure. That camera work, though. Yeah, there's a lot of that, like, like shaky cam footage, like, of like their faces when they're walking like after something terrible happens and they're just like panicking and trying to like figure out what to do. There's a lot of that. It's something that I really love about this movie is like in in every single scene we as like viewers are meant to be like completely understanding the motivations of each character like or um maybe not the motivations but their perspective. Like, literally, (laughs) but also, like, figuratively, like, um, there's, like, a lot of split screen where, you know, in the first scene of the movie, um, Sarah and Harry are having that interaction where he's trying to take the TV again, which, by the way, that pawn guy, why the fuck does he keep taking the TV if he knows it's stolen? But I (laughs) guess. Because he could definitely be shut down. But, um... As you said before, Sarah locks herself in the closet because Harry's a bit aggressive, just like verbally, like just screaming at her. And uh, there's like the use of split screen to show 
her perspective from inside the closet where she's like looking through the keyhole. Yeah. And then his perspective where like we're seeing him we're we're looking at him doing things. It's not like a first person perspective. But it's to show like his emotions like throughout the scene because he does he doesn't want to be doing this thing. Uh, he doesn't want to be taking this TV to once again cart it down the street to pawn it. You know, like he feels bad about it, but he knows yeah. he has to do it if he wants the drugs. Yeah, like he feels he's yelling at his mom because he feels bad about what he's doing to his mom. It's not because he's mad at her, really. I mean, he's mad that she like locked the TV, but she's she's claiming that it's not because of him. It's because of the quote robbers, right? Yep. And she's just doing that because like that's her kid and she loves him and she's not going to admit that he's wrong. And even the pawnbroker guy is like why don't you call the cops on him? Like maybe he'll stop robbing you all the time. And she's like, Oh, I can't in her fucking accent. She's like, Oh, I can't do that or whatever. How what are, the fuck that, was went, that? <laughs> that went Wisconsin. I was like, that is, that went, but that went straight yeah. to Trixie Mattel. It sure did. It really fucking did. Well, that's where my brain was for a second. Incredible. <laughs> I was just looking at something. Um, Whatever. You know what I'm saying? She she uh, basically is like, well, that's my kid. I can't do that. And like the, just the split screen in that moment is like, it's not only jarring, but it, it really like illustrates exactly like you feel for both of them. And I think that's the whole yeah. thing of this whole movie is we're supposed to feel for all of the characters. Or like yeah. when you were talking about the like it it has to be a rig, I think, right? That they're like wearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in Ganjum. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly like that. Yeah, like an over the shoulder like uh rig with the camera mm-hmm. right in their face. And like it like you said, that's used a lot for like panic scenes yeah i just love it what about you i like it i'm not as i don't think as into it i think i think this movie used it a lot and i got a little bit like okay but i did i i did like (laughs) yeah you're more like okay we understand we fucking get it sorry but that was yeah oops (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that and paired with the editing it is like a lot because the editing is really chaotic it, sometimes it's also like very um like 2000 editing you know what i mean yeah it like is a little got a little got a little that vibe any anywho yeah, they're like, like look just... we learned what dissolves are <laughs> but yeah but yeah, um, is there anything else you want to talk about with Requiem for a Dream? Um, no, I could just go on forever. So, well, everybody, this has been our uh, harrowing discussion of Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Uh, I'm gonna go lay down now and watch Real Housewives and turn <laughs> off my brain for a couple hours because sweet, merciful Jesus Christ. Um, it's a tough but yeah, one. That's a tough one, y'all. Uh, so thanks for listening. 
Um, so next time, Dax, what movie are we talking about next time? Just in time for th- actually coming out on Thanksgiving proper. Yep, coming coming out on Thanksgiving. We are going to be talking about one of my uh, favorite movies, and which does say something about me. And something that I watch every year on Thanksgiving, which again says something about me. And you'll see why. It's uh, Trey Edward Schultz's Cresha. Just And a- I, got, I edited a piece that Dax wrote about this movie, so I'm very excited to talk more about this movie with you. Because the first time I watched... This is another movie that I watched and was like, I don't think I can watch this movie again. So uh, here Welcome we go. to the show. Woo! Um, yes, you did edit that piece. I forgot. I did edit that piece. Yeah. It was a while ago. Um, but yeah, Last year. So, Jesus, time is fake. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so check that out if you want. It's an incredible film. Again, difficult to watch, specifically about alcoholism, if that's triggering for anybody. Um, but it's specifically, or most specifically, about alcoholism. Um, yeah, I would really recommend, if you haven't seen it, um, look up you know if you don't mind like knowing like more in depth what it's about look it up make sure that you're able to watch it but um it's so experimental that i highly recommend people watch that one like for sure yes 100 percent. just want to say that like it's total it's really unique and like probably not what you're expecting in any way yeah I'm excited to revisit it and also terrified. So, (laughs) but thanks for listening, everybody. Um, We're excited to be back from our little break, talking about more heavy shit. Um, Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Wona Podcast. That's at W-O-N-A Podcast. If you have any ideas for films we should be covering, you can send us an email, wonapodcast at gmail.com. Um, and make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. I'm at Daxi Bobbin. And please make sure to leave us a little review, a little rating. Maybe subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. It means the world could to really us. Could really use more could ratings really, on there. Could really use some more of those. Would really be cool if you guys did that. So, but anyway, thanks for listening, y'all. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.